0: Hey, they come in and meat man. Y'all to see me eat now. Here on the meat, man. Y'all to see me eat now. I got jaws like a bear trap, a teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never
1: catch a muscle greener showing the hell like I meat I'm the meat man.
2: You're listening to The Best Barbecue Show, the show where we talk, taste, and even try to cook the best barbecue in Texas, which is the best barbecue in the world, and I am graced with the presence of Mark Black from one of the best barbecue places in Texas. How's it going? Going good, man. Terry Black's Barbecue. Glad to be here. <laughs> and Jason Hissaw, the uh, the barbecue wine expert.
1: Oh, glad to be here as well. Drinking some wine with uh, some great guys. So, Jason,
2: tell us, uh, you, know, you, you brought a, a suitcase full of wine here. Tell us. Kind of what we're going to go through, where we're starting.
1: Absolutely. So, <clears throat> the idea was just to to you know do this barbecue and wine episode because coming from the Sommelier world, and and I spent my entire career on the floor of a restaurant at Pappas Brothers Steakhouse in Dallas. Um, you know, I, I it was my job to f- to find things that worked well with food, and I think barbecue is one of those things where, you know, I think we get in our comfort zone. Where we drink a lot of beer, we drink a lot of you know other things, and wine is something that we can drink with barbecue. So I reached out to a lot of the texas wine producers that i've known throughout the years and, and told them what we were doing and they were all jumping on board and said what do you want what do you need and turned into that and we got some great wine so we've got a couple uh, we got a white wine uh from mcpherson we've got a rosé a new rosé in can um, and then some great uh, red wines that we'll taste through and finally a, a texas madeira to finish out the uh the afternoon
2: and uh you, you all will find out a little later uh mark's uh very interested in the wine business. Uh he asked me we were talking about Texas wines recently and Jason came up and we decided we'd all sit down and have some. So cheers guys. Yeah, cheers, cheers.
1: cheers. Sorry, it's a bit of a reach. It's all right. So tell us about this one, Jason. So this is uh McPherson, the loco like Lecapoi- uh, Copain White. Um it has grown up in the near Lubbock, so Uh, winemaker is a gentleman named uh, Kim McPherson his dad is kind of like the OG of Texas winemaking Doc McPherson kind of got the Texas wine scene off in the 1960s doing some experimental vines up in uh, the Lubbock area at Texas Tech and so he's been doing it since then. Uh, he kind of took it over from his dad, and hes I think he's probably at the forefront of Texas winemaking. A lot of Texas winemakers uh, go to him for advice and mentorship. Uh, but it's a its a—it's a white wine. It's a blend. 2015 is the vintage. Um, Roussan, Marsan, so Southern uh, Rhone grape varietals, um, so, which do well in the warm Texas climate. Um, but when you're going to get on it, I mean, if you put your nose in a lot of Different characteristics. A lot of stone fruits, peach, apricot, nectar. Very fresh. Yeah, fresh, clean. Um, it's very rich. This is, you know, as we go through it, this is a wine that I think compare with just about anything. You know, people always think you have to have white wine with fish or red wine with meat. It's not the case. It's whatever makes you happy and whatever you want to enjoy with your with your barbecue or whatever. But, I mean, this with some smoked chicken or some turkey or even any of the sides, I think would be an awesome, awesome compliment. Well, mm. I was
0: going to ask if if the wine is a little sweeter or a little more fruity, is that something you'd want to pair with something a little more sweeter when it comes to a side of barbecue or maybe pork ribs that have a glaze on it?
1: It's harder because I think a lot of these um, wines are fermented dry. The last wine you're, you're going to taste is is sweet. It's fortified, so it's going to have some um, neutral grape spirit added to it. But I think the fruitier the wine, I think it kind of just, it, it's it's all about a balance. This wine has a, a tremendous amount of acidity. So I always like to say, if you take the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth and to see how much you're salivating. So if you're doing chicken or, or, or even ribs, you know, pork ribs with a glaze on it, this would work because as you're taking a bite of the food, you take a sip of the wine, it kind of refreshes your palate and you're ready for the next bite as well. So like the mac and cheese we just had, like this with that and call it a day. Oh. Yeah,
2: so Mark, you you brought a whole little platter for us. We had a beef rib and some pork ribs. and I did. We brisket. had some briskets, some beef ribs, some pork ribs, some sausage, and then some typical uh, Texas barbecue sides. And uh, that was cooked right here at Terry Black's Barbecue? It was. By your, uh, your crew of, what would you say now, 66?
0: 66 employees over there cooking. And uh, not many of us know much about wine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the barbecue machine churns over there, man. It does, nonstop. And this is a great, uh, I-, I feel like this is a nice break from, you know, a little heavier, a little fattier from what we were eating. So this is... Probably the perfect start to this whole tasting.
1: Yeah, and yeah, these are these are wines that, I mean, in Texas, the climate is, you know, year-round. You can drink rosé, white wine year-round because chances are it's not going to be super cold. It's hot you know, AF exactly, here. <laughs> exactly. You know, I live up in Kansas City, and it gets cold AF up there. <laughs> so you'll want to have a little bit something something uh, richer and, and warmer to to go with your food. But, you know, this wine is refreshing. It's clean. It's crisp. And, you know, I've, I think you put this in a blind tasting with, you know, some wine professionals, and they would... Call it a, a great Italian wine or, or, or something along those lines that kind of set it uh, set itself apart.
2: And, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit as we were eating downstairs, you know, growing grapes and barbecue have a lot of similarities. Uh, I think, Mark, you were mm-hmm. you were saying something about yeah, that. Yeah,
0: I just got back from Napa last week, and the, the similarities I saw between the production of wine and even the barbecue, there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of parallels, and it might just be me kind of relating it, but what we go through with the weather and the quality of the product – um, it's very similar to what, what wine growers go through with the grapes and, and what happens with the weather that year. Uh, one big difference, though, if we mess up one day, uh, that's just the food messed up for one day. If the wine
2: messes up, it's for the whole year. So big difference there. But, yeah, a lot of similarities in the craft to it. And the fires, you, you guys said, have been messing up some wines in California?
1: Yeah, for those that don't know, there was um, uh, in October of last year, there was a tremendous amount of um, – Fires that happened in Napa Valley and and Sonoma and through Santa Rosa. And um, yeah, it's luckily the majority of the grapes were already harvested at that point. Um, so there wasn't a tremendous amount of smoke damage to the grapes, but what it did, it was a lot of structural fires. A lot of people lost their homes. Uh, but you know, just like you said, you know, in barbecue, you know, the weather plays, uh, plays a role in it. And there's so many variables in the same thing, um, with grapes and with the harvest. we were just talking downstairs of, uh, the 2018 harvest in, in France is going to be affected because of all the hail that happened. So you never know. Mother nature can rear her head and, and tear you apart.
2: Yeah. it's it's sad when it happens, but uh, you were saying, uh, what was it? The Jackson Winery that uh, actually provided housing. For yeah. Their... So
1: after the fires, the, the Jackson family of so people know the Kendall Jackson wine is probably their most famous wine. But the Jackson family, uh, after the fires, a, a lot of their workers lost their homes, and so um, Barbara Banky, who uh, is the chairman of the Jackson family, provided uh, a housing for many of the workers out there. So it was a great, uh, great thing that the family did for for the wine industry.
2: I feel like that's kind of equivalent to the barbecue family. I'm sure you've had to help out at least a couple of people that work at your place, right, Mark?
1: Absolutely. You know, whenever
0: I heard about the group effort that went into uh, rebuilding the area and just the effort of everybody helping, it's kind of the same as the barbecue industry, man. Everyone's kind of in it together. Um, I mean, we always say competition drive business. I know in Austin with all the barbecue places, whenever one's doing good, they're all doing good. And I bet it's the same for, for wine out in Napa Valley or in uh, Fredericksburg and uh, uh, Texas area so. so what else you got for us Jason? Yeah,
1: so next we're going to do um, Sway Rose It's oh. a new project uh, Coming out uh, with Chris uh, From William Chris uh, One of the collaborators from there um, It is this a This is in a can If yep, you guys are hearing It's a small can A Red Bull size can uh, But it's a blend It's a Rose So it's a blend of uh, Morvedra Carignan uh, Muscat and Viognier To add a little bit of aromatics And uh, Malvasia Bianca So this is a they like to say, yes, sway, rosé. Um, so this is a wine I would say is very barbecue friendly. It um, goes with just about anything. It's uh, in a can, so you can take yeah. it uh, in a cooler and go on a picnic you with it. You put a lot of these in a Yeti cooler. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, I noticed on the can here it says 100% Texas High Plains. Mm-hmm. So out in California, it seems like there's a lot of different regions um, that they, they label and stuff like that. And I've heard in Texas... Uh, Most of the grapes are grown up in the high plains. I assume around Lubbock. Yes, sir. Now, A lot of them are starting to be grown around here in the Central Texas area. Is there that wine region where they're labeled Central Texas grapes, or how does that work?
1: So there's eight AVAs in Texas. So Texas High Plains, uh, Fredericksburg Hill Country. Um, So uh, like you see, and you'll see on most of these bottles, a lot of them are coming from the high plains up in up in the Lubbock area. But when you're in, you know, if you're in California, you're going to see the ABAs, you're going to see California, Sonoma, Napa, Oakville. So sub Appalachians of, um, of, of these particular regions. But for the most part, um, from the research that I've done on these particular wines, the majority are going to be coming up from the high plains. Um, if you go up there, it's not, uh, you'll see a lot more cotton and, and peanuts farmed up there than you will uh, vineyards. But a lot of the great wines coming uh, out of Texas are coming from those, that region.
2: Now, I feel like we have a few roles here. My role is to be the dummy because for all I, you know, when I saw Rose, I just thought it was watered down red wine. Um, but you know, Jason, you're the expert uh, advanced sommelier, correct? Yes, sir. And Mark, you're here cause you know, barbecue and you're very interested in the wine industry. Interested. I'll second the dummy part on my side <laughs> as well. Though. So, so what makes, uh, what, what makes, makes a, rose? a Rose? Is it okay. a lighter grape or what so, is it?
1: So there's two ways to do it. So you can either um, blend, Red wine with white wine. So it's called the Sanyi method. So basically the bleeding method is, what is the French term. So Sanyi, where you'll take some of the red wine and you'll bleed it into the white wine to give it that that color. The second way to do it is taking um, just the smallest amount of time from red grapes and, and because the majority of... Grapes juice is, is white, so to get to, the, to a red wine color, you're actually allowing the juice to be in contact with the skins, and that's what gets a red wine its color. Hmm. So, to make the rose, you can just put the skins onto the juice for a shorter period of time, get that beautiful salmon color. We can't see it in the can, but we can pour it in our glass and see just the yeah, Mark how it just looks. did that. It's yeah. a very smart move, yeah, just kind of that salmon gold copper color. Oh, um, yeah, but yeah, and so you just, uh, I'm not particularly sure how they produced this one, if it was Sanyi or just um, on the skins, but it's delicious.
2: And I have to say also, Jason brought some giant Awesome wine glasses with him. Came fully prepared, of course. I travel with my own stemware. Yeah. <laughs> Somali style. Yeah, uh, at the barbecue restaurant, we only have those plastic cups.
0: And every once in a while, somebody come in and say, hey, can we bring our own glass or, or a bottle of wine? I'm like, well, we have wine. They're like, no, we're going to bring our own bottle. <laughs> and I completely understand. But now they're starting to bring their own glasses as well.
1: Yeah, it's a, people are selling whole kits now. I yeah. think I think you should drink wine, whatever makes you happy. But I happen to be a little bit of a snob of, of a glassware snob, yeah. so I'll give.
2: Man, you- we brought you here because you're the snob. <laughs> That's <right. laughs> That's the whole point is we're we're here to drink wine, but exactly you've got you've got the depth. I mean, you know the history. You know what years Bordeaux had good and bad weather. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now do do you feel like it's more work because now there's more regions. Texas has more
1: regions and you have to keep track of all these places. I'm always learning. You know, I think, you know, there's one more exam that i like to finish. Um, I've done three of the four, um, levels of the quartermaster sommeliers. There's one more that I would still like to finish, which is the last exam. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's always, there's always a new vintage. There's always a new region. There's, um, new producers coming out all the time. So it's an ongoing effort, so people who kind of say, well, I'm you know I'm the expert in, in this field. I'm like, well, that's great, but things change next year, so you never know what exactly is going to be coming out uh, the following vintage.
2: It's kind of like barbecue joints in Austin. Yeah, you never know what's coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's a, there might be a new one every month. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: So one of the things on the the sommelier side of things, I saw the Netflix show, which um, uh, yeah. is, is how I kind of learned what a sommelier does and the, the mm-hmm. training and the expertise that really goes into mm-hmm. it and that's a very interesting show i think it's our documentary i think it's called psalm, psalm
1: yeah there's Psalm. there's some and then there's Psalm two yeah uh psalm one yes exactly right it was uh, produced by a friend of mine it was um it followed the paths of four advanced sommeliers so what i am right now on the path to take their master's exam and pass the master sommelier exam uh, which is a very tough exam to pass it's uh it's i think that's an understatement i mean (laughs) if
0: if you watch that show have you seen it yoni yeah i mean it's incredible what they talk about and the level of detail they got to go into I haven't seen the passion those people have in pretty much any field. I mean, yeah,
1: and you nailed it. It's passion. I mean, if, if for for someone just to go in and and say, "Oh, I want to do this. I want to be, you know, a sommelier. I want to do this." But it takes passion. Just like you, your life and your life with barbecue. It's it's a passion. You wouldn't stay up all night cooking and 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 running the restaurant if you didn't have a passion for it. It's the same thing with you know with wine and and being a sommelier. And it's all about hospitality. It's yeah. Is, is it cool that we can blind you know blind test a wine and 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 Smell you know what it is and, and deduce what it is based off sight smell and palate but it, it truly is hospitality how do we how do we make the guests experience better and that's I think truly what you know being Somalia is
2: Well and if you go to Terry Black's I mean y- y'all are killing it you're, you've got two people just uh, handing people platters and welcoming them you know mm-hmm. like you're seeing uh, not as much in Austin. But in Houston and other places also, like, there, there's places where we were sitting and they refilled our drinks and, and bagged up our to-go stuff. I mean, you, at, at Terry Black's, you've got guys, that, that's the only place in Austin where there's a guy, he comes and takes your platter if you're done, says, you know, have a good day and is, like, excited to see you again.
0: Right. And one, one of the things I, talking about Somalis, is um, we put our pits in the parking lot. And we want people to come up and really experience it and learn everything. You know, when I go to buy wine at Whole Foods or HEB or whatever... I don't have that sommelier right there telling me the history behind it and the story and everything. So when you go to a place and there is a sommelier and you don't really know what wine to pick and they can give you a history of that vintage, that year, where it's from, what it's gonna taste like. Um, it's pretty cool to know exactly where it's coming from. And that's what we wanna do with the barbecue with having the pits in the parking lot cut in front of you and all that. Yeah, so. and,
1: and that's truly one of the, the, my favorite things about wine is, is the history behind it, the families behind it. And, and when I worked the floor of a restaurant for as long as I did, um, you know, that was that was my job. It was, you know, the, the Monday through Thursday was the corporate crowd. It was the hey, let's put a bottle on the table so everybody sees what we're drinking. But it was the Friday and Saturday nights, people experiencing a, you know anniversary or a birthday that didn't have a, a huge budget, but I could find them something for 50, $60 that they've never heard of. And it made that experience their dinner that much more enjoyable. So we got a Tempranillo, I yeah, think I saw. Yeah, so this is the Llano um, Cellar Reserve 2016 Tempranillo. So Tempranillo is a Spanish grape varietal um, grown mm. throughout Spain, um, but um, many of the regions, including Rioja, Rio Duero, um really showcase Tempranillo. Um, it's a grape that does well here, and it's a grape that you'll see for a lot of Texas uh, winemakers use because of the fact that it's a Mediterranean varietal. So it does well in, in warmer conditions. Um it's crisp. Yeah, it's it's bright Bing cherry. It's strawberry. It's a lot of red and black fruits to it. Um, but again, Tempranillo is one of those great varietals that um, has a good amount of acidity. So again. It goes well with the brisket. It goes well with the sausage. I mean, I'm assuming that was some jalapeno cheddar sausage that we just enjoyed. So there's a a good amount of heat to that. So again, this is going to be a fruitier wine. So it'll kind of cut that heat a little bit. And, you know, you're kind of jonesing for the next bite once you've had a sip of this wine.
2: I just like the first thing that you did. You came in and you popped all the bottles uh, while we were waiting for Mark and uh, the food to show up. And so that's something I do that people are like, why are you opening the wine? We're not eating for an hour or two. And I'm like, no, you got to let the bottle breathe. Like, mm-hmm. let that, let it out. Like, is there a process? Like, what 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 exactly is changing when you open the bottle and letting it breathe?
1: So you're you're allowing the aromatics to kind of open up. So when you put your nose in a glass of wine, you're 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 gonna get a couple different things. You're gonna get what I like to call F E W: few fruit, earth, and wood. So, is, what kind of fruits are you getting? Um, you know, in all red wine, you're gonna find some kind of cherry. In all white wine, you're gonna find some kind of apple. So when you're when you're putting your nose in the glass like this one it is kind of cherry right yeah, so you're know, kind of that bing cherry or you know you're always sour merlot cherry but i always like to say you know qualify your cherries and people are like what do you mean qualify your cherries like well, what kind of cherries do you smell you know go to whole foods and buy a bing cherry buy some Maricinos you know, Mar- cherries and, uh, and 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 see what the differences are um and then we're looking at you know earth is there is there an earthy tone to it is its it? Is it kind of rustic forest floor? Is it, you know, barnyardy? What uh, what components um, come to that? And then finally, wood, you know, um, when it comes to wood, has the wine seen oak treatment? Has the wine been aged in oak barrels? Uh, was it stainless steel? Um, so you can always pick up on that. And when, And when I say oak, it's you're looking for baking spices. You're looking for vanilla, nutmeg, coriander, or something along those lines. Do people use
2: post oak for? Uh,
1: they don't. You know, they we probably need some should. Some post oak, a barbecue wood. wine with some post oak, and I think that would would be all right.
0: So that's funny you say that because <laughs> the Alston Winery, it's an urban winery here in town, and they don't age a lot of their wines in oak barrels. Mm-hmm. And I said, why don't you do that? And he said, well, we want to make it as authentic Texas as possible. So the wine that's usually being aged in barrels is French oak. And I've even heard of some oak from Missouri. Yep,
1: American oak. American oak yeah, from American Missouri.
0: Oak, yep. So I said, well, have you ever tried uh, doing it in post oak or anything like that? There's mm-hmm. native to around Texas. And that's an idea that they might run with. I don't know. But that yeah. would be, that'd be, that'd be in interesting. Texas, yeah, yeah, I, I want to see what it was like.
1: Because there's Slovenian oak. There's Hungarian oak. There's obviously wherever country you go to, they're going to have some type of, of, you know, not necessarily a type of oak, but something they can age wine in. Um, and again, they, they're probably using, for the most part, French and American oak here. Um, but yeah, it, it, it gives another level of complexity, another level of depth, and it allows the wine to, to breathe as it's aging. Uh, Could you
2: just like throw some post oak logs in a barrel with wine? Or is <laughs> that kind of like, just do much? a big stir with it? Yeah. Just, as, as, <laughs> as, leave, the, coming, yeah. leave the logs and in there?
1: 100%, 100% Texan wine yeah. with uh, some post oak uh, treatment to it. I'm, I'm just saying, it's I don't not know, a, know it's anything. That's bad so idea. That's my first idea. <laughs> I used to
2: make beer, and you, with beer, you just throw it in there, you know?
1: Exactly. So hopefully they're not adding, adding too much craziness to it. What did you guys think of that one? It was really good.
2: What's the my my the only word I can think of is like alcohol-y, but it's like there's a strength to the smell. Yeah,
1: well the the alcohol in on this you one call is, that? yeah, it's fairly it's fairly low. It's only 13.5% alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. thank you. But it's got a good finish to it. Um, you know, it's nothing overwhelming and you know, I get a very food-friendly wine. And again, coming from that restaurant environment, being a sommelier, I want to find things that work well with food. Um, it's you know, people would always ask me after a long shift at the steakhouse, to be like, oh, oh, you must, you know, enjoy some red wine or something after a shift. I'm like, no, I want a beer. Like the last thing in the world I want is to drink more wine after, after working the shift. Um, And now it's very rare for me to enjoy wine without food. I want it to be with friends and family and dinners and, and these type of, you know, environments where again, we're enhancing, you know, we're doing a great podcast and we're enhancing the overall podcast.
2: Well, and I mean, I could, I could see two or three of those bottles disappearing during dinner. I mean, that was easily drinkable. Mm-hmm. It's made in Lano. I see Lano on the bottle.
1: Yeah, so this is uh, Llano Escatado. Um, this is um, their Texas High Plains Tempranillo. So one of the original uh, Texas wineries nice. out there. So yeah, That's one of the biggest ones, too. Yeah, right? it is. And, and this is where uh, Kim McPherson's dad uh, was a winemaker um, uh, back in the 60s, if memory serves me correctly.
2: That's Doc McPherson? Yes. I wrote his name down because yes. I like that name. Yes, Doc McPherson.
1: <laughs> And so next, yeah, so next we're going to the William Chris Vineyard. Uh, this is their Texas Mourvedre. Vedra. Um, I have a, a little bit of history with these guys. I got to visit their winery in High Texas down in Fredericksburg, and I think they're doing some some great things. It was one of truly the only wine clubs I've ever joined. Um, I get so much wine in my career that <laughs> it's very rare for me to go so out. So you're and, paying for their wine. I actually paid for their wines. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we were on their list for for quite some time. Um, they're doing some great things. Uh, again, a lot of uh, Southern Rhone varietals. This is uh, Mourvedre, um, which is used in a region in uh, Southern in in France and Southern Rhone and uh, Chateauneuf du Pape and and a lot of different regions down there. Again, it's warmer that warmer there. So they they I think a lot of winemakers are doing. You know. What's right by the grape?
2: Now this is a, this is that type of grape grown in Texas, though, right? Yes, sir. So, and you were saying that uh, more Mediterranean the, the types of grapes that you see in Texas are specific to kind of the similar temperatures in other places. Yeah,
1: exactly. And 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 if you think about it geographically, like Texas is this almost the same size as France. So you know, in France, you've got you know thousands of different soils you got you know different temperatures so you're not going to go and grow cabernet in the champagne region because it just won't work it's too cold and they'll never ripen so you, you don't want to use that so you know i think a lot of these winemakers are growing what works well in this in this climate so um, and that, and i applaud that because if you were to take you know, say Pinot Noir, which is a very popular grape varietal. It does very well in cool climates in Burgundy and Sonoma and Oregon. But if you put it in, in the high plains or somewhere in the hill country, just it would burn up. Yeah, it would just it would cook. And it, and wouldn't, it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't do well. That's kind
0: of what I'm learning too, with with the property I bought and where I want to plant about 20 acres of uh, vineyards. Uh, originally, I was like, people were asking me, "Well, what are you going to plant?" And I didn't know Cab, Chard, something like that, mm-hmm. Chardonnay, something like that. But no, it's completely driven, like you said. On what the soil the temperature everything like that so when we got a viticulturalist out there to look at our property i mean they dug over 100 holes on the property Mm -hmm. and i was shocked just from one side of the property to the other sometimes within just 20 feet how different the soil was some of it was sandy and thin some of it was dense and clay like and hold a lot of water Um, it was shocking and i mean that drives what grape you can grow in that area and what will grow better and i think that texas ingenuity um as we get more and more into wine and the region starts growing a little bit better, I think it's just going to keep progressing.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and I'm very excited to see where the Texas winery or the industry, the Texas wine industry is in the next 10 years. Cause from when I moved to Texas in 2007 to even now it's night and day. And I think more people are, are, you know, putting the quality first and, and, uh, and producing yeah. some great wines like this, this more vegetable we're drinking right now. It's, it's killer.
2: Yeah. And so is it like, would you go and, Just get a big machine and try to even out the soil? Or you literally plant grapes depending on where, what grows where? I
1: mean, you could have different... I mean, based on the soil type, you could... I mean, if you're going to plant a whole... You know, a couple acres of of vines. You're going to maybe try to stick to what, you know, a single varietal. Uh, But I have seen, you know, other places where you may have a block of more bedra here. You may have a a block of Garnacha here, depending on, you know, like what Mark said. You know, they're they're testing the soils to see what works well. Because if you're going to invest the time and the money and really doing a vineyard right, you want to make sure you're going to grow what works.
0: Yeah, and I think from one side of the property where I said you had some of that sandy soil that didn't hold as much nutrients, Um, you'll plant a block there. And then as you get closer on my property where there's a Creek and the soil gets more thick and holds a lot more water, it's probably going to be a different varietal that's grown there.
1: Mm -hmm. And this one, uh, this one is, um, you know, this is, it's a little bit lighter in style. So, I mean, like think about it, like a pork steak or a pork shoulder or some pulled pork or something along those lines go really well with that too.
2: This is delicious. This is like candy. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm it's, not. You, I don't. I don't have the the wealth of words you
1: have. So no, right to, know, but <laughs> candy is definitely a descriptor. That it's means like good. <laughs> candied fruit, you know, candied red fruit, candied strawberries, just ripe, intense characteristics. It things. is a different kind of cherry, though. I'm, mm-hmm. I, now that you mentioned that, <laughs> I'm thinking cherries, and and as we go on, you're gonna see all sorts of different types of styles that uh, that are coming out. So that was
0: that was one of the things when you mentioned earlier. You said when you're sitting around at a dinner table and you can drink a couple of bottles. When me and my boys are sitting around and we're drinking some beer and stuff like that, we usually don't talk about it. But when you're drinking wine, it, it's more of an atmosphere, like kind of what you taste, what you like. And there's, there seems to be a little bit more elements to it and, and levels of flavor and, and what people get from it.
1: And uh, a lot of people think wine is, you know, kind of this maybe highfalutin or it's, you know, I don't want to use the word snobbish, but it's it's used in, in, in the wine terms. But at the end of the day, wine's a grocery. If we go to Italy, if we go to France, you know, they're they're serving wine in a, you know, tumbler. They're not putting it in fancy glasses and it goes well with food. So in the end, wine's a grocery. It's a it's a it's a product to go with food, you know. And we in the United States and we we put kind of it on a pedestal and we have very expensive wine and decanters and and uh, and glassware, but you know, these wines are, are meant to be food and they're not to be meant to be 400 dollars 500 dollars a bottle.
2: Well, and you know, I I've, I've been to France and uh, even in Germany, you would find it, it was almost like if you went to certain stores, they just had these bottles that it looked like someone just po- popped a cork in with their fist, but it, it was delicious. Mm-hmm. So do you think, you think America will get to that point? You think Texas will get to that point where like you go to, out to Fredericksburg or out to Driftwood and there's just a, a corner store with a bunch of like hand poured bottles?
1: Very possible. You know, I think I think it's um, as, as wine has. Become more approachable, and more people are getting into it. And again, it's—I think—it's outpacing beer as the number one adult beverage in the United States. I think it—it it truly will be one of those things where you can take a carafe and go to a winery and fill up your—you know—your carafe of, of wine and take it home. And it's just kind of like you would if you were in Europe.
0: Well, I was—I just got back from Napa. We were there last week, and you talk about the approachability of it and the kind of snobbish. I kind of had that view of it as well, but as soon as I drove into Napa, I mean, that's a farming town. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much agriculture there. The, the people – I, I kind of pictured this image in my head of a snobbish area. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's people working day-to-day in the farms there, which is very similar to what Texas used to be or certain areas of mm-hmm. Texas were. And, no, everything
1: was approachable. I Absolutely. mean, it, it was unbelievable, the whole experience. People are friendly, and they just want you to enjoy what they're creating. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, if that's not barbecue, I don't know what is. like. That's why you walk the floor at your restaurant. That's why anytime you go to a barbecue place that's good, you see the owners, you see the employees watching you because they want to see you have a good time.
0: There's that passion in both of them. You know, yeah. any
2: of these any
0: of these uh, wineries or vineyards you'd go to out in Napa is the same thing. When you go into a small town barbecue joint and you got that guy that's been cooking barbecue for 30 years and he's got that passion behind it and he tells you what he likes and doesn't like in his style, it's the
2: same thing for the wine out in Napa. Absolutely. I love you, Jason. You just you just keep the pouring going. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> keep that glug. I know
1: my job. <laughs> so next one, we're on to the Dukeman family. Um, so the Dukeman family, it's a cool story. He, um, again, if memory serves me correctly, he's a cardiologist um, based in Houston. He had a restaurant tour that he was always uh, talking with, and they kept trying to open up a, a winery together. And uh, finally, did and have been making some great wines. So the, this is the 2012 vintage of the Dukeman family Aglianico. So this is an Italian grape varietal. So one of those things where um, this uh, Stan Dukeman decided to say, "Hey, if I'm going to do this, I want to do a, a set of you know uh, varietals. I want to do Italian. Gonna, we're going to do French. They decided on Italian. So uh, this is the Aglianico. Um, uh, again." Maybe a grape that not many people have heard of before. Uh, very food-friendly wine, grown on the coast. Uh, so far,
2: there's only been one grape that I've heard of before. <laughs> so Dukeman's the
0: one that's probably within five miles of Salt Lake, correct? Mm-hmm. Are they? you know if they're buying any Salt Lake's um, grapes?
1: That I do not know. Um, I know they they're have a diff, uh, bunch of different contracts uh, with great growers throughout the state. So I'm not sure if they're actually buying from that area.
0: So Scott Roberts over at Salt Lake, I don't know how many acres he has under um, under vineyards, I guess you'd call it, but it's quite a bit, I think, for Texas. And I've heard, since his vineyards are all surrounding Salt Lake, that there actually is kind of that smoke taint, I think you called it, mm-hmm. on some of the grapes. <laughs> that would be interesting to try. It. So that's I, that, that's what be, I've that's heard. I don't be know if cool, it's true.
1: I think that'd be a smoke taint that might people would be like, okay, this is cool. It smells like brisket.
0: But I mean, Salt Lake being one of the biggest yeah. uh, barbecue, pl- the biggest barbecue place in Texas. I think you'd agree with that, Yoni. Uh, I don't know. You you know the numbers. Better well, than <laughs> in numbers wise, I mean, absolutely, they're the biggest. But uh, it's interesting that he's gotten huge into the uh, the wine industry out there, and he's got some beautiful vineyards around there. And I think he's trying to produce his own wine, but I think Dukeman makes his wine okay. now.
1: Yeah, very possible. So,
0: yeah, and it's around the corner from Salt Lake, and then that's where
2: I brought my property too, just north of Salt Lake. Nice. There, very cool. So, I ride my motorcycle past Salt Lake all the yeah. time. Yeah, but I usually don't eat there. <laughs> uh, this is like a sweeter cherry. So
1: yeah, so, so this one, this is the first one they were having with a little bit of age on it. So this is 2012. So harvested, uh, the grapes were harvested in 2012 probably sat in barrel for anywhere from 18 to 24 months and so now we're looking at um so two years in barrel so that's what now six years in bottle um so some of the fruit characteristics have kind of dropped off so you're getting some of those tertiary flavors you're getting some of the more the um you know dried leaves and twigs and leather and, and cedar and again um some cool things that make a wine so unique and complex but there's a lot of dried red fruits here like you just said there's a different type of cherry there's a dried cherry there's Kind of crazins and and different characteristics that make this one very cool.
2: Um, you have a well trained palate, so is it almost is it like a new frontier to try these Texas wines that have these new flavors and different things? Is it you ever pick up a Texas wine and you're just like, wow, I've never tasted that before?
1: Yeah, and this is this was a cool exercise for me because it's you know. I've got to enjoy a lot of these wines Uh, when I lived in Texas. I haven't got to do it in the last couple of years since I moved up to Kansas. Um, But to to go through it and to see what they're doing is very refreshing for me. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I heard a great man say once, you know, if you're in Napa, drink Napa. If you're at a restaurant, drink Napa. You know, if you're in Bordeaux, drink Bordeaux, you know. So, again, I don't think we're there yet for Texas, but I would hope that people will start to say, well, do you have a Texas wine on your wine list, or do you have any options that I can try? Because you know, when you're in Texas and you're eating barbecue or you're at a restaurant, you know, we should try. You know, support what the community is doing, and, and really, you know, kind of what you want to do in the future of just supporting supporting you know local local grape growers and local winemakers, and you know, again, just drink drink local. We eat local, so let's drink local. That's the
0: same thing we did at Terry Blacks. You know, when we were looking, I think we met with R and D C. That's who provides the wine. We said, hey, we want Texas wines. And I think as it progresses the industry, uh, it'll be more available everywhere. But, for example, we could get half bottles of wine um, from California, but I don't think anybody in Texas were producing half bottles of wine. Even the cans. This is the first can that we're drinking here from the William and Chris guys that that they teamed up with. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the first Texas wine I've seen in a can that I know
1: of. Um, I think a couple of them are doing it now, but um – yeah, this one was, this was the first one that I've tried in a can, and it's I really enjoyed it. But, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: kind of shocked when I go to a restaurant and they don't have any Texas wines. Yeah, even the, uh,
2: the one that I've known for the longest was, like, Becker Vineyards. Uh, but it surprises me. Yeah, even in some of the grocery stores, it's like there's a couple, but, you know, this is amazing. There's all these wineries that, mm-hmm. I mean, is there, you can tell us, Jason, maybe you understand more how the distribution works, but is there... Is there a challenge to getting them all out or maybe they're more limited in their releases or what?
1: Um, I have a limited knowledge of how they're being distributed. I know a few now are, actually have you know, that distribution network where they will go to a distributor and say, I want you to distribute my wines to you know, anywhere from retail to or restaurants or on-premise world. Um, some of them are direct-to-consumer only. Um, I think that's how maybe William Chris was in the past when I was on their mailing list, and I think that drives a lot of these wineries' businesses direct to consumer. Um, but I think we will see, hopefully, as it grows, a lot more of these wineries will go to you know distribution network where you know you can get them, you know, not only in Texas but you can get them in in, in other parts of the country as well.
2: Well, listen, we understand. Uh, you know, California has a much more local vibe. You know, the the moment you put a sign that says California wine. The Californians probably ate it up, even if it was bad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the moment you see Texas wine, Texans are still like, well, I'm not sure. But, you know, this is a great opportunity to what we're going to drink. I mean, so far, I haven't had anything that I, I mean, there's nothing I don't like about any of these wines.
0: Yeah. No, I'll be honest. I, when he brought all these wines, I thought for sure there'd be one I'd be like,
2: eh, eh. We got a few more. But I don't know if I was going yeah, to say it. <laughs> yeah, we got some time.
1: I mean, we got a few more to try. But And, again, that's why I was so, you know, so happy to ask these, you know, the the wineries to, to support me when I was when I pitched the idea to them and saying, hey, here's what I'm going to do. They're like, absolutely. Because, again, it's it's getting the word about how the quality of Texas wine is evolving and and how good these wines are. Because, you know, if I put this in again, I, I say a blind tasting. So when I say a blind tasting, I'm going to put it in a glass where we're not going to look at the label and you put it next to an Aglianico from Italy. I think you're gonna you'd be surprised on how on how the quality matches up to some of those great wines.
0: So sure. earlier we were talking about kind of the rating system, and I, <laughs> I see it when I go to the store, and there's 95, 96, mm-hmm. 92 point ones. What do some of these Texas's rate
1: out as? You know, I don't know if they are actually submitting to get scores yet. And okay. again, uh, I don't have 100 percent knowledge of if they are submitting to you know. Robert Parker or you know, Wine Spectator or Wine Enthusiast or something along, along those lines, I know they are being submitted into, I'm part of uh, something called, the organization is called uh, Texom, so the Texas Sommelier Conference. We hold a big conference every August, and um, the last couple of years, I've been involved in TIWA, which is the Texas International Wine Awards, which used to be the Dallas Morning News Wine, com- uh, wine Competition. So winers would submit their wines uh, to the competition and and to be judged by masters of wine, master sommeliers, wine writers, and give gold, silver, bronze medals. So a lot of these producers are submitting to those type of competitions. But as far as scores, I haven't seen, you know, this wine got a 92 or this one got a 95, but they are being, you know, judged by by
0: so is that something that if they go and do get scored and this robert parker guy Mm -hmm. if one of these wine gets a 96 97 98 99 rating is that something that could take texas wine to the next level absolutely
1: yeah i I think so i think you know when when parker or one of the magazines or whoever it is uh, decides to give a wine a perfect score 100 you know 100 points you know that kind of you know sets it on the next level up where it could almost drive the price double, triple, something mm-hmm. along those lines, and again, you know, kind of what you guys went through when the Texas, you know, monthly top fifty came out, you know, I don't what it does to your business. I mean, I'm sure it get gets more people into the door. I think it gives the wine a bigger audience. You know, if you get those top scores, but getting some of these wines got gold medals at the um, Texom International Wine Awards. So again, people are looking at those type of things to to for quality. Nice, and
2: I, that's cool. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, see if they allow media passes at the Texom. I, uh, like I think like I think I can I think I might be able to help you with that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd appreciate it. Uh, but so, what are we on our fourth bottle now?
1: Yeah. So we just finished up with the Eglionicos.
2: No rush. I mean, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to do a chugging contest. Oh,
1: I'm, a prof- I'm a professional. I can I can handle that. <laughs> So the, the, next, the next two wines are actually from the same producer. Um, I was able to get two uh, from uh, the Becker Vineyard, who you just mentioned. One of the more out. Oh, these are Becker? These are both. Again, awesome. The next two wines are Becker uh, Vineyards. The first one is their Reserve Merlot. Oh. So the next two great varietals are international varietals or Bordeaux varietals. So this is the Merlot. And the next one we're going to try is their Cabernet Franc. Uh, both of them coming from the Texas High Plains. Um, but again, so we kind of talked about Mediterranean varietals. Now we're moving into more international varietals, and international varietals are, are things, you know, Cabernet, uh, Chardonnay, um Merlot, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Uh and so are these now we we talked earlier about how sometimes it's a hundred percent Texas, sometimes there's a percentage. Are these all uh are these all a hundred percent Texas or
1: I believe so. It's one of those things I'm gonna have to yeah. get, go on the it's website not, and look it's at. It's not
2: necessarily sheet. on the uh on the bottle?
1: No, it is not. And then, again, we kind of talked I about it. I wouldn't put it on the bottle either. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's some. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that these are are 100% Texas. Um, well, that's
0: varietals. kind of the movement, right? To get it is everything to yeah, be it's if it's labeled Texas, it's 100% mm-hmm. Texas.
1: Yeah, I think that's the direction that they're going to, and and I've heard some industry people say that's what I think will um, kind of move them into the to the next realm as as being 100% um, varietal. But again, for a small. Smaller wine region, maybe like Texas. You know, it's it's hard because, you know, we talked about earlier, four thousand acres under vine in Texas compared to three hundred sixty thousand acres under vine yeah. in California. So, you are, you can, you know, you you have what you have to work with. You know, you can grow um, as much as you want. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, how much can you produce out of that?
2: Listen, this is the best barbecue show. We're bringing you the underground. This is like from 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 the baby. Like we're 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 just starting mm-hmm. with Texas wine, so we wanted to catch this on the on the upswing. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, Mark's over here. Can you can you give us a lot of, any details on on your plans or? Well, yeah. I, so I bought sixty four acres out in the Driftwood
0: area, north just north of Salt Lake, and I'd say that's kind of the start of um, the kind of wine region moving towards Fredericksburg and High. Which, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, that Fredericksburg area is the second most visited wine region in the United States behind Napa Valley. Even though it's not it's not the um, highest producing. I think you said Texas is 11th in producing? Yeah,
1: it's 11th in production. Um, but yeah, I've been to high Texas. I've been to Fredericksburg, and it is it's jumping. A lot of tourists coming. It is, it is jumping.
2: Maybe my fact on the second yeah. isn't right, but hey, that's pe- what I hear. People know how to have fun in Texas, so. Exactly. Yeah. If there's a wine region, we're visiting it. But if
0: you go out to Fredericksburg and all that, I mean, there's international people there all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these wineries there's... I mean, you keep driving, you see them all. But anyway, I brought 64 acres. Um, I was doing two wedding venues, and um, I could only develop 10% of the property. And I thought, what could I do on the rest of the property that would add value to everything, add to the look? And uh, started thinking vines and grapes after Scott was doing that out at Salt Lake and uh, all this kind of movement that's exploding out there. And anyway, uh, move that way towards the vineyards and the wine. And, you know, the look and the feel of it and how close it is to to Austin, I think there's – there's a lot of craft behind it, kind of like barbecue, and how you grow grapes, and the agriculture side of things, and the really sustainable food stuff, so I wanted to get in on it. Get it to
2: be fun, And you need to, uh, you know, you're starting with 64, but we got to get you up to 100,000 uh, so eventually. we can, uh, well, we can a, compete a, with California. And it's a
1: great staycation. You open up a and b there, you're just going to be printing money up there. It's, yeah. it's one of those people come from Austin, Houston, Dallas. It's a getaway for the weekend. Exactly. That's what my wife and I did.
2: And so... I mean, do you see, there, there's enough land in Texas to start competing with California. It's just cutting it up and turning it into wineries, huh? Well, I, I think a lot of it's driven, though, by the climate
0: and the, and the soil and stuff. I don't think you could just plant a vineyard anywhere you want to do it. So I know from our property, um, out of the 64 acres, there's probably only 15 to 20 acres that are good for growing grapes. I mean, you could still grow a vineyard on the rest of it, but you're not necessarily going to grow the best wine. And the way I'm looking at it is I want to grow good stuff. I want it to be high quality just like the barbecue. I mean, you could go open a Texas barbecue place in California and probably sell a decent amount of barbecue just for that Texas name. And you could probably sell
2: some wine here, but it's probably not as good if you don't do it the right way. So could Uh, you grow like backup vines on some of those other acres or – I'm sure you could, and you could sell it as bulk wine, but it's not anything I'd want to put my yeah. name behind. Some boxed, boxed black yeah,
0: wine. Yeah, I'm sure you could do that. <laughs> it might sell good in the barbecue place, but uh, no, if I'm going to do anything, I want to do it very high quality.
1: But and I, and I think you're right. I think I think a lot of people that are producing Texas wine don't want to necessarily get to that level of where they're producing, you know, three million cases, four million cases of wine. I think they, you know, they're they're. Happy and, and again, everyone's going to want to to grow their to grow their wine or grow their business, but I don't know if they'll ever get to that that level of you know they want like you said you want you want to keep it quality you want to keep it good and and put your name behind it.
2: Well, and I just I just want to get to the point where it's like walking around France here. So you you go to oh, you amazing. go to like the Exxon and pump up gas, and then you find a, <laughs> find a, leader, a five dollar bottle of wine that liter one. Well, and and um, I know there's a story about Texas grapes. They saved. It was it in France.
1: Yeah, so that's that's not a story that many people know about. But uh-huh. um, TV Munson was a, an entomologist out in uh, in Denison in Denison, Texas. Uh, the TV Munson Center um, is at the community college out there. I've got to do some classes out there, uh, but he was one of the people that figured out to put American rootstock on vinifera vines and um, saved basically the French a lot of the a lot of the vineyards from phylloxera, which is a devastating. Um, thing to the wine industry, it'll basically kill off all your vines. So yeah, the French awarded him the me- well, the the highest medal that you yeah. can get from a from the from France. I've drawn a blank on the actual medal, um, but it uh, yeah. TV Munson is a, and that is was a long time ago, it was a right? Very long time ago.
0: Was yes. Munson from Texas? Yeah, that's that. So, that's that te- Texas ingenuity I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, you never know what we're going to come up with in the next 15 years. So
2: and that's like a type of grafting, right? Like you do with mm-hmm, fruit yeah, trees. Exactly. So so. A large portion of the wine in France is grown it's, in Texas it, roots.
1: saved by it was saved by a Texan. So, oh, yeah. so Isn't Texas
2: it? is is just they, you know, we're learning our history again. Exactly. Because so, how long ago was that? Do you know, like what, oh, what years?
1: Put me on the spot for the history of it, but. Um, <laughs> It's okay Everyone's Googling it, it right it, now yeah, Exactly, call it the 20s-ish, yeah. 1920s-ish yeah, I mean, this is on like
2: 100 years ago yeah. Texas yeah. saved yeah. French exactly. wine So all the wine that <laughs> yeah. people are drinking yeah. Has
1: Texas roots I was actually talking to a cognac producer a couple weeks ago And she mentioned the same thing I'm like, oh yeah, TV Munson and she's like, how did you know that? I'm like well, I'm So just, is this
0: something they try to hide? They, the
2: French don't, no, don't, know, no, well, the just, don't want to that the Texas helped them?
1: You want American help The French American help you out But yeah
2: that's really why we got the Statue of Liberty. I think. There We, exactly. we save the saved
1: the saved the French wine regions. Yeah. So um, here, let me point the next one. So still standing. These with are the, all just so delicious. It's great. crazy. And, and, I, and I love the fact that we're doing this because again, it really showcases what um, what Texas wines are.
2: Let me see the label because I've had that Merlot before. Oh so, yeah. yeah. So this is the I recognize this um, label as well. This is Becker their, kills it, man. Yeah,
1: the great wines. This is the Reserve Cabernet Franc. Um, Cabernet Franc again, um, an international varietal used in in Bordeaux in the uh, in the Loire Valley in France, the Chinon region, um, known for its kind of herbal characteristics. So a lot of um, good amount of acidity, red fruits to it. But if you put your nose in it, you open, might be able to get some, you know, some some green herbs, um, some different characteristics. It's uh, very crisp. Mm-hmm, crisp, yeah. It's. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun one. Usually um, you'll find it as a blending grape, but there are regions in the world that will produce 100% Cabernet Francs. Um, Becker's using this one, and um, two years in American Oak, um, I'm just kind of killing it. Like you said, one of the, one of the more uh, established wineries out there.
2: Well, and I remember when, I, I really wish I knew who it was, but there's just like an old guy on the bottle, and that's the only wine that Becker made. Uh, but now it's like you go and they've got three four seven bottles on the shelf different levels yeah different, that's great tiers so i got a question is there a wine
0: that you wouldn't suggest eating with barbecue is there, or did you pick these all that would be
1: it's a good question i had an idea of what i wanted to to show and how i could talk about these wines with barbecue in particular um you know spice goes with you know sweet kind of that's you know sweet, you know, off dry and, and sweetness um, to go with spiciness to it. So I think you can pretty much pair anything again, who am I to tell you what to drink? You know, it's my job to help you find something that'll go with it. But, you know, uh, I mean, Rieslings, you know, Rieslings, we could do, I mean, bubbles. I mean, I was going to bring some, some champagne for us to enjoy as well because bubbles just go with just about yeah. everything. Um, but I don't know. I don't think there is necessarily wine that will go against barbecue. I think it's just kind of figuring out what, what part of the barbecue you want to pair with the wine. So if we're going to do, you know, if you're doing habanero mac and cheese or spicy coleslaw or pulled pork sandwich, we can do champagne or, you know, an off dry German Riesling or something cool like that. Um, and then kind of moving into the red meats with the brisket and um, we can obviously go into the reds for that too. But. Nice.
2: I like, uh, I only like it because it's a good deal, but it's also delicious. But it's like Gewurztraminer. Gewurztraminer. Gewurztraminer? Gewurztraminer, yep, it's that's a, a great one with barbecue.
1: Yeah, it's uh, so depending on who's producing it. So the Gevurtschmeriner that I enjoy come from the Alsace region of France. So very dry, but very aromatic. A lot of different floral components to it. Um, it's rich. It's oily. It's it's peachy apricot. There's so many cool things going on uh, with Gevurtschmeriner. But yeah, it's it's depending on if it's a little off dry, you're gonna kind of get that sweet salty characteristic to it. Um, but yeah, commercial is a, is a cool wine. And, and it's, uh,
2: it's funny cause I feel like we're all sitting here like sipping and smacking and <laughs> there's, there's just so much depth to what we're eating or what we're drinking. And, uh, I feel like having a nice big plate of barbecue was the, the perfect start to this cause this <laughs> is really, you know, one, it's a bunch of alcohol.
1: Exactly. I mean, we need a, something, uh, something in our systems before yeah. we start drinking all
2: this. But then at the same time, it's very, it, it's the same, you know, you brought a beef rib that has this, you know, dark, uh, uh, crust with, you know, it's got salty, it's got peppery, but then you, you know, the, the briskets a little lighter Then you, we, you, you guys have awesome sides. I mean, that's half the fun of going into Terry Black's is just the, the huge platter of sides when you go in. But, but the idea of throwing wine into the mix and just this crisp, you know, these fresh tastes, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it truly is something that I think goes really well with barbecue and, and any kind of, you know, meat.
1: And it's again, finding what you like, you know, we've, we've sampled around what one like eight different numbers about to go into the ninth wine. And it's about finding out what you like, what you like, what I like. And again, not forcing it on somebody to say you should definitely have this wine with this course because yes, it does work, but maybe they don't like that grape varietal. You know, it was always a challenge when I worked at, at the steakhouse for Pappas, you know, someone would say I'm having a ribeye tonight, but I don't drink red wine be like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. You know, let's, let's find something. So I find, you know, this huge, rich white Bordeaux, the oily, you know, um, has a lot of texture to it to, to cut through the fat of the ribeye. And, you know, they would love it because, you know, I found something that worked for them under their parameters um, that actually worked with the dish as opposed to just saying, oh, we can have a Cabernet. You know, I, I, I feel like people get in a rut and they say, I only drink Cabernet. Well, I'm like, okay, do you only eat brisket when you go to a barbecue joint? <laughs> no, like, try different things. You know, you should try different uh, different grape varietals. So,
2: but Well, and I've been, you know, I've been blessed with, with a lot of great friends. So when I have a barbecue, someone always brings wine. And the more you kind of try the different wines with the barbecue, you start to realize, oh, like, you can... The The wine is just going to bring out more of the flavor, of the smells, of of everything.
1: Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a good complement of food. And again, that's why, you know, I had a job for so many years. It was, I mean, to have a job to only pair, you know, wine and food and, and to, and again, I'd say to only pair wine and food, but to, to manage the inventories and stuff like that. But it's, it was, it's, it's so much fun because there's so many different things.
2: This is the dessert wine. we Yeah. Required, so huh?
1: this is the Hack Jacques Madeira. So Madeira is a cool wine that maybe people have either heard of or just usually cook with. So Madeira, the actual island of Madeira, is a small island about 500 miles off the coast of Portugal. Um, And it's a tropical island. Um, It's the only island where you can grow grapes and bananas on the same island. Um, but what they, what they figured, so uh, a guy named Zargo the squinter discovered the island, and like any good um, explorer, what do you do when you come to a new island? You set a blaze to it, and you burn the whole island to see what's on the island. So this lush, rich forest burned for 20-plus you know, t- years, and after it you know, stopped, you were you left with this rich, fertile soil from all the ash from the rainforest. So they started growing these grapes there, and they would fortify the wine. So they would add neutral grape spirit, just kind of like they would do with port, um, to preserve the wine for the long voyages um, throughout the throughout the seas. And what they discovered, as the wine came back to their original starting point, it tasted better than when it when they first left. And what they figured it was, the heat was going up, the heat was going down, the rain, there were so many elements. It was basically cooking the wine. So when it got to its final destination, it had changed and tasted a lot different and a lot better than when they first started out. So Madeira is basically a cooked wine. And they produce this wine by putting it in an oven called an estufagem. And they basically bake the wine. So you get this nutty caramel characteristic to it. I
2: mean, you you can barely see through this.
1: No, it's dark, it's inky, it's...
2: It's almost like caramel.
1: Yeah. And so I picked this one in particular because I mean, think about Texas, you do pecan pie, you do some kind of cobbler, you do some kind of chocolate desserts. Um, it's delicious. It's it's one of those things that's got a little bit higher alcohol cuz it's fortified. Yeah, um, it's all the 17% alcohol. Yeah, so a little one. bit higher than, you know, some of the table wines we've been enjoying. Oh, but that's like a candy bar. Oh, it's pure sugar. It's pure deliciousness and it's it's one of those wines that'll age forever. Um, again, we had wines uh, that were madeiras that were vintage 1901. You know, we had one at uh, back of the steakhouse that was uh, vintage 1865. And when I would give a tour of the cellar, I'd be like, "So this wine was harvested when Abraham Lincoln was president." And I'd be like, <laughs> "Well, why is it? How is it? How is it that bad? Because you know, it's already been oxidized. It's already been cooked. So, you know, for a restaurant tour, this is a great wine because you can put it on your on your back bar, and it's never ever going to go bad. You know, will so, it get
0: better though? I know some of these wines get better with age. Right? Um,
1: it will. It'll continue to evolve in the bottle. Um, but again, it's a great you know thing to pour by the glass because again, it isn't going to go bad on you. You know, if you pour one of these, you maybe have a couple of days before it starts to, to turn a little bit, but you can pour that for your desserts yeah. all day long. Mm-hmm.
2: Nice. Unless you have one of those cool nitrogen systems. If you
1: have a quarter and you can always do that too. Yes, sir.
2: And so this, I mean, this is like a mm-hmm. caramel bonbon, mm-hmm. uh,
1: liquefied pecan pie.
2: So... Yeah, that's exactly what it tastes like. Actually, <laughs> uh, there's there's a certain level to. Let's say you're trying to cook some brisket, right? Is this like could you put this in a smoker and cook it? When you say cook the wine, what do you what are you saying?
1: Um, you're, you're basically raising the temperature. So how they how Is they do it in do a it, big
2: jug or what? Yeah.
1: So how they do it in the in the actual? If you were in in on the island of Madeira, they would take barrels and put them in the attics of the wineries, and so during the summertime, it would get to hundred plus degrees up there. So that's the natural way to do it. They would just let those barrels in the attic for 50, 60, 70 plus years and just cook. And now obviously you're going to lose a lot to the angel share. So you're going to lose some from evaporation. So you're going to top off. Um, But at the same time, you're just going to get this nutty caramel characteristic to it. The artificial way to do it. And again, it's, it's a perfectly acceptable way to do it is put it in this, you know, this oven in the barrels, bring up the temp. uh, So they're in the barrels in the oven. In, in in the warehouses in on the island of Madeira, how they're doing it um, for pro- probably for hack as they will use superheated coils um, around the wine, so as as mm. it's just it's bringing up that temp and, and kind of basically cooking it down um, and not to, not to concentrate it but just to to get that characteristic. It's to it a too. little thicker.
0: So what yeah. are, what are they holding these bottles at typically? Not the Madeira, but just this regular wine. Is it in the fifties or sixties that you want to keep the temperature at
1: for degrees for celery? Yeah, yeah. 55, 55 degrees is ideal
0: so yeah, i know when i was in Napa this last weekend mm-hmm. we got some bottles that were pretty pricey mm-hmm. and they wouldn't ship them this time of the year correct. because it was too hot correct yeah they yeah. said you might not get this wine until october november mm-hmm. and they actually look at the route that it goes from california to texas and they wouldn't send these high high price bottles of wine because it's too hot they yeah. don't want it to get above 65 degrees 62 degrees whatever it is uh, in route to Texas,
1: yeah, they do they do, uh, do not want to compromise the wine. So heat will kill the wine. Obviously, not this wine, and that's because this was intended to be to be heated. But regular wine, like the wines you were getting from Napa. Heat will kill it. Um, they won't ship it unless you know the temperatures are ideal. Um, and even some of the wines that I get shipped to the distribution company that I work for, all have temperature gauges that go on the trains or the trucks to make sure that there wasn't a temperature spike. To make sure that the quality of the wine. So is there like an alarm on there if it goes above sixty-five? You'll, it tells you. They'll know it. Yeah, this stuff's they, tainted. They will know it. There's yeah. There's it's all this new technology that uh, will make sure that your wine gets to point B um, as the way it was intended.
2: Now, people ship frozen briskets and all this stuff. Is there They just don't temperature control the shipments or what?
1: Uh, yeah, you can have refrigerated trucks, refrigerated box cars on the train. So that's how they should for, for fine wine and, and for beer and stuff like that. That's how they are. But, should, I
0: mean, it's know. the same type thing. I mean, with the wine, obviously it can last longer. But if it goes out of temperature, it's going to be bad. I mean, the same thing for brisket. If you freeze a brisket and then reheat it and warm it later, it's not going to be the same. It's not even going to be close
2: to the same. Well, here's my question is. How do you do it? You got to put it in like a 200 degree oven. What's that? A brisket. To reheat it? Yeah. You got to wait a while, right? You can't do it with with a lot of heat because you'll kill it.
0: Yeah, you don't want to go super
2: hot or else, yeah,
0: you'll char the edges out. Yeah, you got to warm it up back to. I mean, if we're ever telling anybody selling a frozen brisket or even a cold brisket, I mean, they bring it to where it's thawed out and it's not frozen at all. And then we just tell them to warm it back up to taste um, to about 135 degrees or so. The USDA or whatever would probably want to say bring it up to 145, 150, but you don't want to take it that hot or it'll dry it out. Um, but there's no way it's going to be as good as if it didn't get frozen or didn't get chilled
2: right. or anything like that. The best is hot off, you know, right out of the box, mm. sliced up.
1: Are you guys shipping stuff out of state? No, we don't ship
0: anything out of state. There's there's places that do that. I know uh, Clay and them over at Snows. I know they ship stuff. They got a huge shipping business. Mm-hmm. They're and killing it. Yeah, they kill it, I'm sure. And, I mean, they serve the best stuff there is. So, um, I'm sure they got a distinct way of yeah, how they do it, yeah. how they chill everything, Perhaps. how they get it ready to but go. But you,
2: you guys do have some, a few briskets in that little cooler. Yeah, there? so
0: anything we have left over for the night, we uh, vacuum seal, or we chill and vacuum seal and freeze and sell it frozen. And, and we give them a little display on how to warm it. But I tell every single person that asks. Uh, don't take this home to California and think it's going to be as good as what you had in here. By the time you freeze brisket and warm it back up, there's no way it's going to be the same.
2: One of my favorite things about flying anywhere from Austin is how many people have, like, brisket (laughs) and, like, whole briskets or just, like, barbecue platters in a bag, and everyone on the plane goes, I know what you got in there. Yeah,
0: that's one of the cool things for us. I mean, we're cooking... On a, on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, probably 90 breakfasts or so. And then on Saturday, Sunday, up to 150. And if we if it's a slow day and we have stuff left, we just put it in that freezer. And yeah, it sells. And people take it, I mean, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, are you sure we can get on the plane with it? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no one stopped you yet. <laughs> and we don't get any complaints on that. It's when they start buying the glass bottles and the barbecue sauce. I'm like, no, you definitely yeah. can't take that. Those customs yeah,
1: guys, yeah. guys might try to just steal it themselves. <laughs> exactly. You know. So, but that was, so that was the gauntlet of, uh, of all the wines today. So it just, again, kind of, we can revisit anything after all yeah, we will. We will. <laughs> yeah, I kind
2: of want to, what's the one just right after the Lano? Uh,
1: the Wim Chris. The yeah. Bedroom. Let me, yeah. let me have a little Absolutely. more of that. Please.
2: That's the kind of cherry I wanted to sneak back in on. Yeah. So, you know, Jason, we met through the show, but mm-hmm. also at Snows. Mm-hmm you're a barbecue guy mm-hmm. and you're it. also, I mean the the most advanced wine guy I've ever heard of. Um, so, you know, what, what kind of drove you to, you know, listen to the show to, to, to bridge this gap. Sure.
1: Yeah. It's, it's fun because, so I, I started listening to you guys probably in November or October, or November of last year. Um, barbecue. So I grew up not in a barbecue family, but you know, obviously backyard barbecue. Dad had a Weber and we, we cook stuff. And then when I moved to Texas in 2007, I really didn't know what, what barbecue was and, or true barbecue or Texas barbecue. Um, and so the steakhouse on the, on the same block, it was a Pappas barbecue. So again, great, good barbecue. Um, I went there, tried my first brisket and ribs and sausage, got the three meat platter. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is really, really good. And as I lived in Texas longer, I got to go visit some, some other, some other, you know, restaurants and, and, and try what they were doing. And I really got into it when my second son was born. I'm like, these boys are going to eat me out of house and home one day. And we have three sons now, and I know they're going to eat me outside house and home. So I was like, I better start learning how to smoke mass amounts of meat and start baking my own bread because these boys are going to eat me out of house and home one day, um, so it kind of just took off, and, and I really started enjoying te- Texas barbecue more. Three years ago, we moved uh, to Kansas City, and Kansas City, it's good barbecue, and I'll probably take a little bit of flack for this, but I kind of told you, <laughs> when I when I come to Texas, like I will wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'll drive three hours to Lexington, wait three hours in line for, for, for barbecue. Yeah. Um, I'll hold the Texas Monthly like a Bible and you know see – Pitmasters that are celebrities. When I'm in Kansas City, they're like, "Oh, should we go have Kansas City barbecue for lunch?" I'm like, "Yeah, we got an hour before our next meeting. Let's go. Sure, why not?" You know, it's it's this culture here. It's just like the history, and I mean, obviously, you're four generations of a barbecue family, and that's what I really thrive on. It and kind of ties into the wine of just I love a good family. I love a good story, and and that's how I really got into to Texas barbecue. So I, I for my job, I drive a lot, and so I was starting to listen to podcasts, you know, wine podcasts, and. Like I'm sure there's some barbecue podcasts out there, and sure enough, found you guys, and the rest is history, and made some new friends, and found some guys on social media that we <laughs> correspond on Instagram. On Shout barbecue. out to Socks so over there. He is, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's just like you said, the wine, the wine family reminds me a lot of the barbecue family. Like they're sharing, you're sharing things. Hey, let's go try this. Let's go do this together. So, um, you know, my wife was like. You're about to drive 11 hours to go down to Austin? I'm like, yes, I absolutely am. I'm 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 glad
0: I'm not as crazy (laughs) as I thought. When I was out in California, I kept
1: saying there's so many
0: parallels. And uh, no, someone, someone's uh, agreeing with me. Yes, so. no,
1: absolutely, and and it's it's been an, a thrill to come down. And I've been waiting for this for a while. I was calling all these Texas wineries, telling them what I'm doing. They're like, absolutely, Jason, whatever you whatever you need to do.
2: Well, I mean, what's a bottle of wine to them, right?
1: No, like, absolutely. And again, they they're it's it's about sharing. You know, yeah. it's it's sharing the wealth and and sharing what's uh, what they're proud to show you know showcase.
2: The amount of generosity in the wine world and the barbecue world. Uh, We just did a couple episodes with Operation uh, Mm Barbecue Relief, who have now served almost two million meals during disaster efforts all over the country. I saw that. It's it's the generosity and the beauty of these people working hard, creating something that most people can't do, Mm -hmm. but at the same time sharing it openly is... I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And it's, I, a, it's a beautiful thing. Did sign up to be a volunteer after listening to that episode. Yes! I did oh, sign and up, did too. I did sign up. I'm, I'm not also. bullshitting. I did it yeah, the moment, the moment it. I was done talking to them. Yeah. I was like, yeah. on the website.
1: Absolutely. Same here.
2: Yeah. Uh, and they're just, they're just killing it. It's just a bunch of guys who know the way businesses work. And they just, you know, I don't think there's a nonprofit that runs like that, where the moment there's a disaster, these guys are connecting with Tyson Chicken and Heinz and... Mm-hmm all these companies to just get 70,000, you know, cans of something that, uh, one of the jokes with a lot of those operation barbecue relief guys is like if you go volunteer for them, sometimes you're just opening cans Mm -hmm. because sometimes someone has to open 500 cans for everyone to get fed Mm -hmm. when you serve a hundred thousand meals in a day. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's crazy to think about that level of production, for no other reason except to help people in, in need.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, with the barbecue. You know, whenever um, the hurricane hit Houston a while back, there were so many people reaching out to us. I'm sure, just like Operation Barbecue, I and mean, we don't do anything on the level they do. But they were like, "Hey, we're just taking some fam- some food down to these families." And I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, there, there's something unique about taking the barbecue down there. There's something unique about having a tray of barbecue right there as a family mm-hmm. and all eating it together and just you know, when you're in a time of tragedy, you, you kind of come together over a plate of barbecues. It's pretty unique, especially com- in Texas. It's
1: comforting. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I mean, and for what you guys do for the show, I mean, I signed up to be a volunteer. I mean, you're spreading the word. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing just to to, to bring people together to, to, and, and, and showcase what uh, what's going on in the world.
2: Now we need some of these vineyards to just donate so <laughs> the next disaster everyone can have a party. Have oh, you. they
0: will. That's kind of what I was talking about in Napa. When they had those fires, those those vineyards and all those wineries just came together mm-hmm. and supported the community. And like I said, it's a real agricultural community out there. You know, As, as much as Napa is known to be high-end and expensive wine, there's a lot of farmers out there. And they, they all banded together. It was, it was pretty cool to hear the, the personal stories from what happened and what they went through uh, with the fires.
2: Well, and, and that's the beauty is that, you know, when Jason, you were telling me the story of all the fires, mm-hmm. I knew just, just cause I knew that there's probably some legit people in line, like there was barbecue. I, I asked you, you know, who, who went out and actually helped their, the people working for them because you said that tons of people's homes burned down. Mm-hmm. And of course, right off the bat, you were like, Oh, well, Jackson Winery, mm-hmm. these guys, they, they provided homes for yeah. these people whose all their homes burned down yeah. and that's not only a great investment in their future because the people who work for them are going to be even more committed mm-hmm. but it's also just a, a generous thing to do it's just the smart thing to do it's good business
1: and that's a, and that, and that is a small sampling of you know the the generosity of what happened during the fires watching social media i'm just seeing all these people opening up their homes to somebody who, you know, had had to be evacuated or, or needed a meal or needed a place to sleep for the night. I mean, just everybody opened up their doors and said, "Please come join us." And, you know, it's kind of it was tough for me to watch it happen. And I'm like, "Well, what can I do?" You know, so I would put on social media, "Go buy a bottle of their wine." So when they're when after after everything is said and done, they'll have customers after the fire. Let's let's, let's continue to support the business and have customers when when everything's said and done.
2: Well, and that's why I like this show, because right now there's people listening and they're in traffic and they probably hate every single person around them because they're stopping them from getting (laughs) to where they want to go. But at the same time, like we're all human beings. And in the end, when when push comes to shove, when when really the horrible things happen, it's better for us to come together than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. So we call our fans the meat men. (laughs) I've got a giant meat man metal cut out of steel you know who you are out there who made our meat man best barbecue show signs um but we call our fans the meat man and so as a sommelier as the owner of probably one of the higher uh producing barbecue places in austin what do you guys what's your message out there to the meat man hey you know this is a wine episode for for me um you know i didn't know anything
0: about wine until the last couple of months but there's a lot of parallels it's pretty cool and you know i keep talking about the farm aspect coming from a small town um, but wine's a farming thing and there's a lot of craft to it and there's there's a lot that goes into it and uh it's interesting to me and there, there's so many different elements You're pairing it with barbecue and all that stuff it's it's pretty cool i just want to thank you guys for for doing it too, I learned a lot. Thanks for being here, Mark. Yeah,
1: absolutely. For and the message to the pitmasters, the guys at home, just keep cooking because this is why we do it. This is this is it's enjoyable. It's 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 a community. It's something that uh, I'm glad to be a part of. And um, you know, I would say, you know. Just, you know, think outside the box. Like, just like we said, if you're a beer guy, open up a bottle of wine with some barbecue. If you're Absolutely. a wine guy, drink a beer, you know. If you're a wine and beer guy, drink some spirits, you know. You know, just keep evolving it and, and, and keep the keep the message going and, and go drink some Texas wine. Obviously, we got to taste a, a lot of great stuff. And, you know, we like to say drink local and, and eat local. So drink some uh, and ask for some Texas wine.
0: Yeah, I think on, on that Texas on that Texas wine note, you know, the barbecue we're lucky because people look into the history of it there's that same history in wine or at least it's growing right now and you know when you go to the store you don't necessarily get that but there's plenty of wineries to go visit around Austin and, and kind of see how they're doing things and learn that history
2: and i think that uh that'll elevate the experience for everybody and for all you meet men out there who are in other states other countries it sounds like some of this wine is shippable some mm-hmm. of these guys will spread it and so Drink some Texas wine. Absolutely. Maybe you're drink. Maybe you're eating Texas barbecue in Sonoma. Maybe you're eating Texas barbecue in L.A. See if you can get a Texas wine shipped out there.
1: Exactly. Go go enjoy a, a local a local wine with some uh, some great barbecue.
2: So keep it Texas, y'all. Absolutely. Sure. All right, Jason Hissaw. Thank you very Mark much. Mark Black. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, this has been a great episode. And I appreciate y'all being here. Appreciate you.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Yeah.